Welcome to episode number 51 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring writer-director James Vanderbilt of the new film Truth, starring Kate Blanchett and Robert Redford. Truth tells the story of Mary Mapes, circa 2004, a CBS News producer working for the show 60 Minutes 2, whose controversial story on the military involvement of President Bush came under fire from CBS News executives, the United States government, and the American people. Truth delves into the investigation of whether or not those documents found by the team of Mary Mapes, played by Topher Grace, Dennis Quaid, and Elizabeth Moss, were authentic. And the film also brings it to question whether or not Mary Mapes and her team had forged any of the documents. Robert Redford plays Dan Rather, the CBS news anchor and reporter for this controversial story. Writer-director James Vanderbilt, who's also credited as the screenwriter of the David Fincher film Zodiac, takes us through his process of directing a feature film for the very first time. Also, the casting of Robert Redford as the iconic news anchor Dan Rather, as well as researching the film with Mary Mapes, working with Kate Blanchett, lessons for every first-time director, and his process in post-production working with an editor. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And remember, you still have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software by following us on Twitter, at jogroad, following us on Instagram, at jogroadproductions, subscribing to our YouTube channel, Jogroad Productions, liking us on Facebook, Jogroad Productions, and by writing us a review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. Do all of the above, and you'll have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we join writer-director James Vanderbilt of the new film Truth, opening in limited release on October 16th. It was interesting. I I didn't see the original 60 Minutes 2 piece um, when it aired. And so my first sort of experience with it was the uproar. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and so I remember watching the news and they saying, oh, you know last night or the night before, whenever it kind of was, because it happened very quickly. All of the, you know, all of the sort of the uproar about it sort of blew up very quickly. Um, 60 Minutes 2 ran this piece on on the president and his National Guard service, and there were these memos, and the memos were faked, and, and so it all kind of exploded. So I sort of tracked it from, from that place, um, not in any kind of a... I wasn't looking at it at that point like, oh, this could be a movie. Like, there was never... I just, as a as a as a person who lived in this country kind of followed it the way did you have everybody else did. you on it as far as did you think it was true what they were saying as I far honestly as the didn't accusations it's or? true of the accusations I didn't honestly I mean in terms of the memos I didn't know enough about it like it was just a legitimately like huh I'm not sure you yeah. know and and I was doing I was writing a movie at the point and you know so I just sort of followed it like everybody else and then I read um, Mary's book I read an excerpt from Mary's book in Vanity Fair about a year later which got me to read her book. Um, and, and that it was at the point in time where I started to kind of dig into it and go, oh, wow, this is like, and there was so much, there was so much more information about something I thought I knew a bunch about that I didn't know about. Yeah. You know? Uh, when you jumped into Adapt It, were yeah. you using Mary as a direct resource or just the book itself? No, we your... did, I used Mary as a direct resource as well. Because right. I sort of, you read the book and the book is great, and, and, but the book is very much a memoir. You know what I mean? So it's, so it's the first half of it is about how she got into journalism and the different stories she covered and Abu, putting Abu Ghraib together. She did jail, she got thrown in jail at one point for not revealing her sources to a judge. 
um, on a death penalty case. I believe it was, but she she had done all of this great stuff, which made for a really really great book. But I sort of knew that I was like, if we're gonna do a movie there's not going to be time or at least the version of the movie I was interested in was this is a movie about this story isolating it just to the 60 yeah, minutes yeah it's just the 60 minutes piece because yeah. part of it too was and, and later on Kate Blanchett said it too she goes she said what I like about it is it's not actually a biopic you know what I mean it's not we don't begin with Mary as a 10 year old girl deciding she wants to be in the news it, it is a movie about these people doing this story um, and that kind of was very. That was always sort of attractive to me. Yeah, about, sort of about similar to all the presidents' men in a sense. Absolutely, in and yeah. Working on the yeah. on the mystery and the case and everything. And, Exactly, and one of the things I loved about All the President's Men is sort of how no frills it was in terms of it's just going to drop you into this world and show you the world, and you're going to have to sort of put together, oh, this is how that works, and this is what a budget meeting is, and this is what, it, you know, this is how all of it, it doesn't kind of hold your hand through it. Um, yeah. And that was something that was really sort of exciting for us to do, especially when we, Robert Redford showed up. It was like, <laughs> all right, well, we can really, you know. Yeah, well, thinking about, you know, Dan Rather, he's so iconic. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was your initiative in terms of thinking to cast that part? Were you always thinking Redford, or was that... Uh... I was always thinking Redford, and it yeah. was interesting because there were, there were not a lot of people, but some people were like, really? Like, it's, it's, you know, only because, you know, Bob and Dan don't look a lot alike, and they don't sound a lot alike. Um, but I always sort of thought, you know, they each, they each kind of have this similar quality, which is they're kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of part of Americana in a similar way. Like we've grown up with them. We sort of heard their voices on the TV for, you know, ever since I was a kid, certainly. Um, and so there was always this, I always sort of loved the idea of, of taking the, the, the cinematic um, baggage that Bob has, I mean baggage in a good way, like in terms of our memories, and using that, deploying that as Dan. Because that's kind of how Dan is in in that world at that time, was he was the Robert Redford of news. He was the guy, especially at CBS, you know. And so when Bob walks into a room and Dan walks into a room, a similar thing happens. Kind of the gravity kind of bends towards them. Yeah. And so I loved that idea. And I knew... Um, Bob a little bit because I'd written a movie that he was going to direct at one point so I spent a little time with him and so I knew him a little and I was like okay the, the, you know, there's a similar quality there and, and I just kind of went I, I always sort of thought that like the big buy of the movie is going to be Rather you know and, and I was just like if, you know, if we try and impersonate him I think we're going to it's just not going to work I think it's a trap you know it's like you know, if we get an unknown... It's cartoonish in a way. Yeah, yeah. because then it's not... Because then you're not looking... Then you're not watching a character. You're watching an impersonation. And you're sitting there going, oh, is that really close? Is that... So it was like, if we try and get really close, and even if we do get really close, people will just be comparing, comparing, comparing. So my thing with, with Bob was, I think, you know... And, and I, I said to him, feel free to disagree. You're Robert Redford, so tell me what you think. Um, but I said, my instinct is, I don't want to put you in a bunch of prosthetics. I don't want to put you behind a bunch of makeup. Um, I'd love to gray your hair, because um, Dan Rather was never a blonde, um, and do a little vocal intonation, you know, because to honor the fact he's from Texas. But other than that, just play the character and play the, play the, play the script. Um, and if we, if all the rest of us do our job, it'll, you know, people, it'll be weird for about two minutes, people watching yeah. and going, oh, it's Robert. And then the movie will kick in and, and hopefully the story will take over and they'll be just seeing you playing the character. Yeah, these news anchors have that gravitas almost like a movie star. That's the thing. You trust them and they're, they have this heroic nature to them at a certain point too. Yeah. And the trustworthiness I think is the yeah. real thing is sort of that, that, you know, I, I remember after September 11th seeing Dan go on, um, David Letterman. 
and it was hearing him talk. You sort of wanted to hear those guys talk to you about it and talk you through it. And 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 Bob has that quality too, that that trustworthiness. Yeah. Uh, was there anything that really surprised you researching? You know how you know Mary Mapes and her team had researched the George Bush story. Was sure. there anything could have jumped at you that was sort of different than what you had originally expected? Well, we, the, actually, what was interesting, the stuff that surprised me wasn't the, the technical stuff and the, and the factual stuff. The stuff that surprised me was the, the relationship stuff between Mary and Dan and between Mary kind of and the team and how that aspect of it worked. Um, and I felt like that's when I, you know, once I sort of figured out what Mary and Dan's relationship was in terms of how they took care of each other and that there was a little bit of a surrogate father-daughter thing going on there, and especially because of Mary's past, that for me as a filmmaker was the thing that made me go, oh, I know what this is. Like, I know what this, you know, I know who this character is now. I know who Dan is now. I know who Mary is now. I know how they're going to hook into each other. Um, so that was the thing that, that, that actually made me go, oh, this is a movie. Um, and the rest of it was just, you know, it was great. It's research. It's, you know, it's sort of is, is, is the fun of it, is, is finding out all this cool stuff and interesting stuff yeah. about what their process was. Uh, directing for the first time, I mean, you've had a long career as a screenwriter. Was there anything, any misconceptions that you originally had about the directing process that changed for you once you stepped in there or anything that you thought was different? Or? There was, I mean... I, I knew I was lucky enough because I'd been because I'd written and produced stuff, so I'd been on sets too, which was really important as a producer. Which which so I got to watch other really good directors do their thing, which was super helpful. But but you know the thing the thing that I the kind of way I went at it was, you know, people were like, oh, screenwriting and directing are like very similar, and, and I'm like, no, they're not in any. I mean, like screenwriter, you know, your job is to sit in a small room alone and make stuff up and like in a, as a director you are in a very large room with a hundred people looking at you going <laughs> what do we do so I was uh, you know I just I just worked my butt off to prepare for it honestly like I spoke to a lot of different directors who I whose work I admired and some of whom I'd worked with before um, I read a ton of books I talked to people who'd worked with my cast before you know just in terms of what their pro you know what's you know what's Kate's process what's you know Bob's process what's you know Elizabeth's process so so I, I just tried to pack all of that into the pre-production and I was just like look I was like I may suck at this but if I suck at this I'm going to be the most well-prepared bad director you've ever seen um, and so that's kind of how I came at it yeah was there any uh, particular advice that you got from some of those directors that really stayed with you when you were uh, um, one of the one of the cool, like, uh, there's a sort of a lot of it. One, one of the pieces of advice, and this is going to sound silly, but it actually was really, really revelatory, was um, the crew moves with you. So wherever you physically are on set, that's where the center of the film is. And remember that because, you know, on a day where you're behind and, like, you're shooting and you finish a setup and you know where the next setup is, you walk directly to that setup. It'll end up saving you five minutes because everybody will go with you. Everybody, so just always know that you're the center of gravity on that set yeah. when you're walking around it. Not in an egotistical way or anything like that. So but just are on you use as a that, leader but use that to yeah. your advantage. Use that. That will keep things moving. That will keep you know things from getting bogged down. You know, um, 
I, you know, I didn't have a trailer, you know what I mean? Or I had a, I had a trailer, I never was in it. Do you know what I mean? I, when I did, I did a movie called Zodiac with David Fincher, he didn't have a trailer because he never left the set, you know, because if he left the set, what's going to happen? You know, he's the yeah, center of gravity. He the energy. Exactly. And so, so I, you know, sort of tried to do it the same way. So that, I mean, it sounds like a small thing, but it was actually a really great piece of advice. As a director, do you feel like you need to be a part of the decision making in every department? I mean, are you always on top of production design and cinematography and... Uh, I was, I mean, I don't think on top of in the sense of, you know, I, I definitely was involved in all of sort of the, the major decisions, but my, the, the way I sort of approached it was, you know, especially when you direct a movie for your first time, you are the least qualified person in your job of anybody on that set, and yet you're in charge. Like, the guy who's in two day, on two, does two days of, of work on craft services has done that job more than you've done your job. So there's something really weird about that. But... So my approach to it was I hired uh, really experienced and, and talented heads of department and, and, said, and, and then just said, I'm hiring you because you're really good at what you do. And my job is not to come in and tell you how to do your job. I'm not going to tell you know, Mandy Walker exactly how everything should work and what lenses to use because I don't know lenses as well as, do, as she does. But what I will do is we'll together figure out what the look of the film is and what, what we want it to be as partners. And then she has the technical know-how to say, here's how we achieve that. And so I'll use that. And with the production designers, the same thing is, I want to hear what your ideas are. How do we make this, how do we production design this movie in an intelligent way that makes it look the way we both wanted to look at make? So it was about hiring people who were really experienced, whose work I admired, and then empowering them to do the best job they could for all of us. Because if, if they look good, we all look good. Yeah. You know, just knowing when to delegate and yeah, know, no, like, absolutely. Yeah. And look, everything is going to run through. As a director, I mean, if you're doing your job, everything is going to run through you, anyways. Do you know what I mean? It's it's so there's no need to exert your power because you have the power. The power is there. You know what I mean? So you're in charge. So part of being in charge is empowering the people who are working on your film to do their best work, and and a lot of times that's encouraging them. A lot of time, that's asking them to stretch, to think of new ideas, to, to sort of help, you know, inspire them to to, to go no, you know, and, and if they come to you with something that you don't like, instead of going no, that's terrible, you go, I, I totally understand why you're going for that, but I don't think that's quite where we need to go. But what about this? Or maybe you know, and yeah. and and sort of send them off in a different direction because I look, I truly believe that people do their best work when not when they're being yelled at or not where they're being you know I think they do their best work when they feel like they're in a safe place. And, and especially creatively that they can yeah, kind of part spread. of the process yeah and I wanted to be I mean it's all, all of our names are on the movie and so I wanted to have, have pride in the film and pride in their work and, and that only happens if we're all pulling in the same direction and all trying to make the same movie yeah uh, when you stepped into the editing room was there anything that you learned about screenwriting when you were editing mm. in terms of you know just I don't know whether it be more concise or just anything sure no I mean I think um Watching what fell away naturally and what didn't was really fascinating for me, just from a writing perspective, and and watching how certain pieces of shoe leather we just didn't need. You know what I mean? There was like there was a whole scene that we shot early in the film, late late in the production. It was actually one of the last things we shot, but early we shot in New York City in front of Lincoln Center, um, where Mary and Dan were sort of walking out of Lincoln Center and having a conversation, and the whole conversation was built to build their relationship and for you to understand that they cared about each other and like it was just banter and back and forth talking about Abu Ghraib and we got into the editing room and it's you know and, and it's very well performed 
Um, and we were looking at it, we went, oh man, we don't need it. And the reason we don't need it is because in the next scene when they're in the bar and they're kind of laughing, there's a look between them, like a joking look where she's trying to get him to say courage. Um, and that look does all the work for us. All of the heavy lifting of this minute and a half, you know, 90 second dialogue scene is done just in that look between them. And so we don't need the scene. And so it fell out, you know, but it was, but it was also fascinating because it's, it's, you would say, okay, as a better writer, you don't need to write that. You know, if you ever wrote this movie again, you'd be smart enough to cut it, you know, before you shot it. But sometimes you actually need to, to stage, shoot, and, and cut the scene and then look at it and look at it in the movie to go, we don't need it. Yeah. Um, so sometimes that's just part of the process. Seeing all the pieces together and now Yeah, and sort of being and... able to sort of step back. Because that's really what it, you know, the, doing the whole process, what was sort of fascinating is you start looking at it from a very macro place of here's the story, you know, and you're very far back from it. And as you write it and as you cast and as you direct it, you get closer and closer and closer and closer to it until when you're shooting it, you're right up in it and you're just looking at it line by line and scene by scene. And then when you edit it, you start to sort of step back away again and back away again and back away again. So by the end, you're looking at it again from this incredibly macro place. And sort of only then can you go, oh, that thing that was so important to me when I was up against it micro is that whole scene can go. That whole thing can drop out. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of what's fascinating about doing it soup to nuts the whole process the first time, was seeing all that. Is there any particular scene that you feel the most proud of? Uh... I mean, I'm just, I don't know. I'm really proud of the film. I don't know if there's one kind of, I think that... Um, I like how the movie builds. I just think Kate's performance and Bob's, everybody's performance in it is really good. And, and I, I like, um, I think just Kate's amazing in the Black Rock scene, but she's amazing, you know, amazing in... Yeah, Stacey Keach, I thought. Stacey Keach is so great. <laughs> and, and yeah, the scene where Bob is getting the, the index cards, I, you know, I think came together really well. That was a really difficult scene to, to edit. So it was, um, you know, it was amazing to kind of get it well. And I had an amazing editor, this guy, Richard Francis Bruce, who cut the movie as cut. Cut seven, I think. Right? He cut seven. Yeah. He cut Shawshank Redemption. He cut uh, Witches of Eastwick, The Green Mile. I mean, like I said, but he also cut like Divergent and Oblivion, you know, a couple of years ago. So he's sort of done everything, and he's this—he's an amazing guy. Like you look at his IMDb, and it's like, what, what? You know, like, oh, you also did the Perfect Storm in Air Force One. Okay, sure, yeah. you know. So and The Rock, you know. So it's like he's cut everything. Um, so it was amazing to have somebody with that level of experience in the editing room with me.